You're listening to the 49 Carats Podcast, a 49ers goldmine production with Stephanie Sanchez. What's going on, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the 49 Carats Podcast. I'm your host, Steph. I am doing this live once again. Some of you on YouTube may have seen that I attempted to do this uh, 49ers defense, Seahawks offense preview video few hours ago before the Thursday night football game. However, that was a big fail. I was having some audio issues. It sounded like I was underwater, according to one listener or one viewer. Um, and I think I fixed the issue. And hopefully my audio sounds okay to you guys now. I tested it out before I went on. So we're all systems go. What's going on, Tanya? Thanks for uh, coming by to watch. Dawson said the mic is fire. Okay, we are good to go then. Thank you so much, Dawson. Um, so let's pretend, you know, earlier did not happen, right? And we're going to go through this all uh, once more, uh, starting with this week in 49ers history, September 14th, 2015. The 49ers played in their black alternate uniforms for the first time. You guys know which ones I'm talking about. The black jerseys with the red numbers and the red letters. Uh, Some fans feel very strongly about these uniforms, okay? And so I'm curious to know what you guys thought of those. You know, do you have strong feelings about them too? Did you love them? Did you hate them? Me personally, I was kind of neutral. Like, the concept of having black uniforms is cool, right? But I also don't feel like the 49ers have enough black in their logo or anywhere to begin with to really justify like a black uniform. And also the gold helmet with the black also looks kind of funny and uh, black jerseys with red letters is just very hard to read. So, you know, that's kind of my stance on it. Again, I'm somewhat indifferent, but I don't have very strong feelings about it. I thought they were kind of cool, especially like the Kaepernick one. Um, yeah, Keith said he thought it was the earbuds. No, it was not. Uh, I didn't even have earbuds on earlier, uh, but I, I tested my audio out. We're all, we're all good this time. Keith says Niners alternate uniform should be sourdough Sam outfits. <laughs> So what would they have blue? Uh, they'd have blue bottoms, and then what? What would their jersey color be? Just like red? That'd be pretty funny. Dawson says gold or white outline could have worked, or just do a full red uniform. Maybe should have been the color rush. Yeah, I think that would have probably been a better color rush. Although the Bills have an all red color rush, so maybe that would have been a bit of a conflict there. Um, but yeah, it's a fun little uh, history tidbit on the 49ers. I know a lot of people are happy that, you know, those black alternate uniforms didn't become a permanent thing. Uh, but we'll go right into some 49ers news here. Uh, look, George Kittle, Daniel Brunskill, they still have not practiced this week, Okay. I'm getting a little worried. On CanBR today, though, Kyle Shanahan said he'd be shocked if Brunskill made it, but it looks like Kittle has a chance. So this was kind of what I was feeling, too. Like, George Kittle, to me, is the kind of guy – he's just at that point in his career, and he's that good, where I don't need George Kittle to practice at all before feeling good about 
having him out there on the field on Sunday, right? Uh, he could take mental reps as he, if he needs to. Um, but, you know, I have confidence that he would be okay uh, starting the game, even if he didn't practice all week. So I don't know. I mean, it, that could be something that Kyle Shanahan would consider. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. Friday, of course, would be the final day to, you know, really gauge whether or not um, it'll come down to the wire on Sunday. If he practices at any capacity Friday, I would say he has a pretty good shot of playing. But, yeah, I have a feeling this is going to come down to it. And so we'll just have to wait on wait and see on George Kittle. But, obviously, all of us would really like him to play. I feel like the team definitely missed him in that week one game. Um, other bit of news, the 49ers worked out. Uh, former LSU, uh, shout out Dawson, former LSU cornerback Kerry Vincent Jr. Vincent was a 2021 seventh round pick for the Broncos who was later traded to the Eagles and obviously now he's a free agent that's why the 49ers are working him out by the way the 49ers have one final spot on their practice squad as of right now Uh, so maybe Kerry Vincent is someone that they're just considering to add on to their practice squad who knows but just thought I'd update you guys on that but let's get into it, right? Let's get into this uh, 49ers defense, Seahawks offense, week two preview, okay? And we're going to start with the defensive line. I love to start with the trenches. Uh, and before we do that, like, I, I want to talk about the Seahawks offensive line because I feel like, you know, for a couple years now, we've felt like the Seahawks offensive line has been, you know, a weakness. And... You know, they, they've really emphasized the offensive line, and it's kind of funny, especially this offseason, this draft, they they made it a big point to address offensive line, and it was just kind of funny that, you know, they did all that until after Russell Wilson left. But anyway, um, if you see her on the screen, uh, so in 2021, they had, you know, these are the starters that they had over here on the left. And on the right, you will see the starters for 2022. Uh, So you will see there three. They have three new starters on their offensive line this year, two of which are rookies, uh, draft selections from this year's class, starting with left tackle Charles Cross. Uh, Charles Cross was actually the Seahawks' first-round pick uh, in this year's draft uh, tackle out of Mississippi State. In week one, Charles Cross had a 52.5 PFF grade, so he didn't have the best debut. And his second challenge is going up against Nick Bosa. So Nick Bosa has, I guess, the the pleasure of, you know, going back-to-back games, you know, with going up against inexperienced tackles, right? So... This time on the docket is Charles Cross. And so I think there's an opportunity for Nick Bosa, you know, to really exploit that matchup and have a, a strong game going up against Charles Cross. At left guard uh, is Damian Lewis. You'll notice Damian Lewis, he actually was a starter for the Seahawks last year. So he's one of the two, um, you know, remaining starters from the previous season. Damian Lewis did not play in week one, though, versus the Broncos. Uh, so really, all I yeah, he did play in Week 13 last season uh, against the 49ers, in which he allowed one hit and just one pressure. Oh, sorry, wait, 
Sorry, that stat is from week four. So in week four against the Niners, he allowed one hit and just one pressure. He also did not play in week 13 last year versus the 49ers. So that's Damian Lewis. Um, and then the center, Austin Blythe. Um, I meant to – let me see here. I don't – oh, yeah. Yeah, I meant to look him up, uh, his previous team. I didn't – I don't think I, I saw that, but – I could look it up really quick, but Austin Blythe, also a new starter um, on this Seahawks offensive line. And let's see. He was okay. Well, let me see. Oh, he was with the Kansas city last season, but it didn't look like he played many snaps last season for the, for Kansas city. Um, And prior to that, he was with uh, LA. Um, I'm assuming the Rams. So yeah, that's the story on Austin Blythe. If he was with the Rams, then I would assume that the 49ers, you know, are pretty familiar uh, with him. Uh, Last week against Denver, he had a 46.9 overall grade. Um, Although pass blocking was really good. He had a 77.6 PFF grade. Um, Austin Blythe is the center. Uh, let's see here. And then we have uh, the right guard, Gabe Jackson. Gabe Jackson, uh, the other returning starter for the Seahawks offensive line. Uh, in week 13, Jackson gave up one sack, one hit, three hurries, and five total pressures versus the 49ers. Um, and last week versus the Broncos in week one, he gave up three pressures. Um, so, you know, I feel like there's – some opportunity there. Uh, and then finally at right tackle, the 40, uh, the Seahawks have Abraham Lucas, a uh, new starter, also a rookie, the Seahawks third round pick from this year's draft. And he's pretty solid. I, I was a fan of Abraham Lucas, um, you know, going into the draft. So uh, yeah, I mean, he, I think he's going to be good for them for quite a while. So, yeah, that, that's the Seahawks offensive line. Let's talk about some of the good run blockers that they have in this unit. I would say Abraham Luke is definitely one of the stronger offensive uh, uh, run blockers on this offensive line. Uh, he will see plenty of Samson Ebukam in this game. Uh, right guard Gabe Jackson, I would also consider a pretty good run blocker, and he probably sees a lot of Eric Armstead in this game. Some bad blockers, Austin Blythe, the center, he'll see a lot of Javon Kinlaw and Hassan Ridgeway, maybe some Eric Armstead. I, f- I feel very good about this matchup for Javon Kinlaw and, you know, Kinlaw being able to clog up the middle and, you know, get some penetration uh you know, to make some run stops and Hassan Ridgeway, who I feel is, you know, he was one of the underrated signings going into this season uh, for the 49ers that I feel is going to help out a lot in run defense. So I feel good about the matchup going up against Austin Blythe in the middle there. And then some good pass blockers. All right. So we talked about run blockers. Uh, now let's talk about some good pass blockers for the Seahawks. Center Austin Blythe. So he is Austin Blythe. He's a, he's a pretty bad run blocker, but he's a really good pass blocker. He had an 81.7 PFF pass block grade in week one, 
Um, and now, again, like I said, he's going to see Javon Kinlaw. Javon Kinlaw, you know, I think is going to be a challenge for him. You know, he might give him all that he can handle. And we'll just have to see if Blythe can hold up in pass protection. Uh, some other good pass blockers on the Seahawks offensive line, I would consider uh, Abraham Lucas once again. I think he's just really solid, at least from what we've seen, right? The, it's a very small sample size in the NFL. We only have that week one game to go off of, but he played really well in that game. Um, and so if he can keep that up, you know, the, it could be another good showing from him. Then we have right guard Gabe Jackson, uh, another good uh, pass blocker. So you can you can see I mentioned the right tackle and the right guard. So the right side of the Seahawks offensive line seems to be early on, right? Like it, it's only, it's only week two, but I would say that uh, it feels like that's the strong part of their line. And so it'll be interesting to see if the 49ers, you know, move some things around, maybe, um, you know, want to move some guys over to that side, Nick Bosa, who has mentioned that, he wants to make it a point to switch the sides that he's rushing off of. You know, maybe he wants to try rushing from the right side if Samson Ebukam is having some trouble uh, going up against Abraham Lucas. I don't know. But I feel like it's going to be hard. It'll be a little difficult for Nick Bosa to leave, uh, you know, going up against Charles Cross because I feel like that's a very favorable matchup for Nick Bosa. Uh, so we'll just have to see. Speaking of, though, Let's talk about the bad pla the bad pass blockers. So I mentioned Charles Cross. Let's talk about it. Uh, he'll be lining up against Nick Bosa, as I mentioned. And Charles Cross, he had a 31.7 pass blocking grade in week one. Not good at all. He allowed two sacks, two hurries, and four pressures. So not a good game for Charles, Charles Cross in his first uh, game in the NFL and, you know, he has to play against Nick Bosa now. So uh, I would expect that it's going to be tough sledding for him once again. You know, if you have one bad game, I can't imagine he's going to get his footing, you know, in the next game going up against Bosa. So that's just something to keep an eye on. I feel really good about that matchup. But again, I feel like the right side of the Seahawks offensive line is, you know, somewhat stronger. So that's something to keep an eye on. Maybe Samson Ebukam might have a harder time. Um, and, you know, maybe Eric Armstead as well. We'll just have to wait and see, but that, you know, for right now, that's, that's the way I, I see things going. Um, but you just never know. All right. Let's talk about uh, running backs. The Seahawks running back. So in week one, it was Rashad Penny who was the starter and took the bulk of the carries. In fact, Travis Homer, who was the other uh, Seahawks running back, he had just one carry in this game. Rashad Penny had 12, uh, good for 60 yards and five-yard uh, per carry average versus the Broncos. Back in week 13 versus the 49ers, Rashad Penny had 10 carries for 35 yards. So, you know, Rashad Penny, I feel like you know, there's always potential for him to potentially, uh, you know, break off a, a decent run. But I feel like the 49ers, like he's not someone that scares me going up against the 49ers. Um, although I will mention Kenneth Walker, he he's the 
Seahawks second round pick in this year's draft. He was inactive in week one. He was still recovering from a hernia. Pete Carroll said he is set to play in week two. Um, running back out of Michigan State. It, it'll be un, it, it'll be interesting to see how much he plays, right? Because he has missed a lot of time leading up to the season, a good portion of camp. Um, and so him being a rookie, like those – a lot of those snaps, those practices are really important for some of these young players. Uh, you definitely want to ramp a guy up maybe. So I'm not sure how much Kenneth Walker actually plays in this game. Um, but I do know it, it seems like he's going to be active for sure. And so it'll, it, we'll just have to wait and see um, how much time he actually plays out there. So, uh, the 49ers will have to look back at his Michigan tape to prepare for him, given that, you know, we don't really have much tape of him, uh, you know, from the NFL, obviously. And as Keith says right here, Kenneth Walker was a beast at Michigan State. Yeah, indeed he was. So definitely, you know, someone I'm a little nervous about, right? Because the 49ers, again, don't have much tape on him from the NFL level, obviously only have uh, this Michigan State stuff so you don't really know um, how the Seahawks plan to use him and also it's a it's a mystery how much he's going to play in this game as I mentioned so it's kind of uh, that that one's a bit of a toss-up a bit of a mystery so we'll we'll see what happens there uh, but that's something I'm a little not nervous about but just un, unsure unsure how that's gonna go um, so let's talk about the 49ers run defenders, right? I would say, like, I think I could safely say after week one that Teleno Hufanga was probably the best run defender for the 49ers uh, after that week one game. And so if he can just keep up that same performance, he's pretty much acting as like a fourth linebacker, playing a lot of snaps in the box. Um, and if he can just do what he did in week one, I'm I'm going to feel very good about, you know, anything that the Seahawks throw the 49ers way in terms of, you know, running the football. Um, Hufunga in week one had a uh, 80.1 PFF grade for run defense, six tackles on run plays, one of those being a tackle for loss. Um, Keith says Richard Pennywise, I like that. <laughs> Pennywise is going to be learning defense in with the red balloons. <laughs> I like that. That's funny. You know, I I literally just watched the movie It for the first time, uh, the new the newer version, uh, like last week. It was pretty good. Uh, I didn't think it was that scary, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, but anyway, yeah. So Teleno Hufanga, we're not worried about. But let's talk about some of these linebackers, right? Because at times the linebackers are going to need to be involved in run defense as well. Aziz, he had a seventy-eight point four run defense grade in Week One. Three tackles on run plays. Two of them were stops, uh, which PFF defines as like a negative play for you know the offense, right? So um, it was a he had two. He caused two negative plays for the Bears pretty much on his run stops. And then Fred Warner had a 71.5 run defense grade, two tackles, three assists on run plays, two stops. And Dre Greenlaw had four tackles on run plays, all considered stops, 65.7 run defense grade. 
in a kind of like, you know, unexpected, I want to say unexpected, but kind of underlying, I guess, uh, positive from week one was also that Nick Bosa had a productive day uh, defending the run. He had four tackles um, at the line. And, you know, if he can keep that up as well, I think that's something that, I certainly will feel good about going into this game and, you know, being able to stop the Seahawks run game. If, especially if Kenneth Walker is going to be out there, you know, you want to get all your guys on the defensive line involved. Hassan Ridgeway, as I mentioned a little bit, a little bit ago, also someone in this defensive line rotation who is going to be very important in run defense uh, versus the bears in week one, he had a 65.9 PFF run defense grade good for one tackle and two assists. Um, and again, he's part of the rotation. So he's going to be one of those guys who, whose role is pretty, you know, specific. He's going to go in there in, in certain situations and also to give some of the starters a breather, but you know, an obvious run plays, I'm sure he'll be out there and you know, he he's pretty solid at that. So someone I'm, I'm looking forward to, and I would look to, for him to have a, a good game in, in week two here. Uh, but we talked about the linebackers, the 49ers linebackers, that is. So let's talk about the linebackers matchup with the Seahawks tight ends, because as we know, the Seahawks for a few years now have liked to get their tight ends involved. Um, and in week one, it, it looked no different. Literally, I'm pretty sure all three of the um Seahawks tight ends that were active in week one, they all uh, got a reception, at least two receptions, actually. Will Disley had three receptions for 43 yards. I think Disley was the one that had the touchdown as well. Um, And he's also a great blocker. That's another thing I wanted to mention about Disley is that, um, you know, how I was mentioning that the left side of the Seahawks line is not very strong. If Charles Cross struggles, you know, it, it might make sense for the Seahawks to put Disley over on that side, have him help out um, against Nick Bosa as well. Just give him an extra, you know, hurdle to jump through, I guess. Uh, I would expect to see that from the Seahawks to, you know, kind of keep Nick Bosa at bay a bit. Um, and then the other tight ends. So they have Colby Parkinson, uh, Parkinson, who had two receptions for 43 yards against the Broncos. And then Noah Fant, Noah Fant, the off-season addition from the blockbuster trade involving Russell Wilson. So uh, the Broncos gave, sent Noah Fant as part of that trade. Uh, he had three receptions, but only for 16 yards. Uh, so like I said, they, they like to get all of their tight ends um, involved in the passing game. And so it, it'll be interesting to see. I feel good about the our linebackers, right? I feel good about the 49, for 49ers linebackers in coverage. Um, you know, especially, uh, especially Fred Warner. He was targeted just once and didn't allow any receptions in week one. Same goes for Aziz Al-Shair. The only thing I'm a little concerned about is Dre Greenlaw, right? I think we can all agree after watching week one, Greenlaw was a bit of a problem um, in more ways than one, right? I mean, in coverage, he was targeted four times and he allowed four receptions for 70 yards. That is per PFF. But I have a suspicion 
that PFF counted the Equanimous St. Brown touchdown. I feel like they counted that against Greenlaw because if you if you look back, it like Greenlaw is the closest defender. So I think PFF just said, oh, it's his fault. He wasn't on him. But um, if you watch that over and if you watched my last episode uh, where we did the we looked at some all 22 and I showed uh, the tweet from Rich. Uh, it was actually Tashawn Gibson who should have, you know, stayed with St. Brown, um, you know, off the snap on that play. So I don't really put that one on Greenlaw. But anyway, I'm I'm getting sidetracked here. But even if that St. Brown touchdown doesn't count against Greenlaw, he still allowed three tar- three receptions on three targets, which is not good. I mean, you got to like do at least one incompletion, man. You got to force at least one incompletion. So I'm a little worried about Greenlaw um, in this game, but you know, we'll, we'll just have to wait and, and hope that he has a better week two. Right. I feel like it can't get much worse than a week one. Right. So uh, hopefully it's a better game for Greenlaw. And of course, like I said, I'm not one to worry too much about Fred Warner and Aziz Alshair. Um, Keith says Bosa is going to add two pieces more versus Seattle. He has 19 more pieces in 16 games. Yeah. Uh, what Keith's talking about here, if you guys don't know, Nick Bosa said he wants to get a 20 piece as in he wants to get 20 sacks this season. Not only is he saying he wants to get it, he's literally he's literally signed someone's like Jersey or helmet or something like that with 20 piece. Uh, and so when a guy does that, you figure he means business. He is going to do it. He is manifesting it. So yes, Keith thinks that Bose is going to get two sacks against Seattle. I could totally see that happening, especially against Charles cross, especially I know it's going to rain, but it's not going to be like the monsoon in Chicago. So I definitely would still feel good about Nick Bosa having a good game. So I think two sacks is pretty reasonable. Um, and yeah, he's definitely going to want to make up for, you know, the game on last Sunday because again, like they couldn't really do much. So I'm sure Nick Bosa wished that he could have gotten more sacks in that one. Um, but let's turn our attention to the 49ers cornerbacks. Uh, or the secondary versus the Seahawks receivers. Let's talk about DK Metcalf, okay? DK Metcalf, he's going to be going up against Charvarius Ward. For some reason, DK Metcalf, you know, I used to really fear going up against the Seahawks uh, with Metcalf and Russell Wilson because, you know, I feel like what Russell Wilson does well played very well into Metcalf's strengths. And so I, I feel like the expectations for Metcalf have to be kind of dialed back just slightly, given the fact that Geno Smith is now the quarterback. He looked great, by the way, in, in week one and, you know, happy for him. Uh, you know, they what was the quote he said? It, he said a freaking bar after that game. Uh, he said they. Oh, my God, what was the word? He said they count. It was like they counted me out. Uh, say it in the comments, guys. Help me out here. But uh, it was a it was a bar. Um, anyway, it's DK Metcalf. I feel like 
he has his ceiling, right, has lowered, I think, a little bit with with uh, Geno Smith. Um, and if you look back at the game against the Broncos, you know, he's running a lot of out routes and a lot of intermediate routes. Thank you, Dawson. Yeah, Geno Smith said they wrote him off, but he didn't write back. There you go. That's a bar right there. I love it. So Geno Smith, easy to root for, but obviously this week, not going to be rooting for him, right? Uh, and Metcalf, of course, like I said, running a lot of out routes, intermediate routes, and he was going up against Patrick Sertain, second-year corner, who who is, you know, a riser as a corner in the game. I think he's probably one of – he's going to be one of the better corners in – you know, next few years. So Patrick Sertain, definitely not a slouch. He's a good matchup. And so Metcalf finished with seven receptions for 36 yards. And this tells a story, I feel like, because seven receptions tells you that Metcalf is the unquestioned number one target in this offense. But the 36 yards tells me one of two things. Um, Obviously, Patrick Sertain had some part of in that, right? Um, you know, limiting Metcalf's game to an extent. But also, I feel like the Seahawks are also going with a a very short game approach, much like we've seen with, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo in the 49ers offense, where it's very dink and dunk. I'll talk more about that in a bit, but I feel like we can probably expect to see a similar stat line for DK Metcalf um, in week two as well, going up against Charvarius Ward. Granted, I hope that it's less than seven receptions that Ward would allow, right? Um, and I think there's a good chance for that just because, you know, playing in in the conditions that they played, that the 49ers played against the Bears in Chicago wasn't favorable. Uh, Ward, he finished with a 53.9 coverage grade versus the Bears. And so I think better days are ahead for Chavarius Ward. And I was actually surprised to see that Ward was targeted five times. He allowed two receptions. Um, and his his biggest assignment of the day was to, you know, cover Darnell Mooney, who, you know, throughout the offseason has been hyped up and, and all things like that. So you really had to pay attention to Mooney. Um Mooney was targeted three times, recorded just one reception for eight yards. But again, I mean, the weather could have played into that. But anyway, um, I, I feel like Charvarius Ward did a, a great job covering Mooney in that game, all things considered. So now he goes up against DK Metcalf. Um, a bigger challenge, obviously. But I think it's going to be a, a really good matchup between both of them and, you know, I feel like DK Metcalf, he's going to get his, right? Like seven receptions in week one, and so he's going to get a lot of targets. So he's probably bound to get his. He's going to get some receptions, but I think the big thing is just limiting him to those short plays. You know, I can live with seven receptions and 36 yards, right? That's not going to hurt you too much. So, um, yeah, I I feel good about the matchup. and I, I think the role that Metcalf is in right now is good for 
the 49ers defense. I'm not worried about, you know, a really big play, but we'll have to see. I'm just basing this off of week one, right? I mean, week one, small sample size. So, you know, the Seahawks could try something else in week two against the 49ers. But overall, I feel like it's going to be a great matchup between Traverius Ward and DK Metcalf. Get your popcorn ready. Now, the other Seahawks receiver, Tyler Lockett, he's been a Seahawk for what feels like forever. Um, And so he's going to be going up against Emmanuel Mosley and, to some extent, also Samuel Womack. Lockett lined up outside 58% of the time in week one and about 42% uh, from the slot. On Monday versus the Broncos, he had three receptions for 28 yards. So, again... You know, not a lot of yardage to go around here in this Seahawks offense, at least in that week one game. Uh, and Mosley versus the Bears, he had a 62 coverage grade um, in, in week one. And he wasn't targeted, though. So I don't know how that PFF, you know, grading works sometimes. <laughs> They're kind of weird. I mean, he Mosley wasn't targeted, but he had a 62 coverage grade. So... Not sure. They had him uh, as having two missed tackles, though, so maybe that's why. Uh, I'm not sure, but um, I also feel like this could be a good game for Mosley. But you know, Lockett, he's he's a veteran, you know, experience. He's he's savvy. He's a good route runner. So there's always potential for Lockett to have, you know, a, a big play. And so Mosley's gonna have to be careful, but. On top of that, Samuel Womack's going to have to be careful, and he's going to have to be on his A game because, you know, he's a rookie, and we're excited for him, right? Like, we know he's going to be good uh, just based on what what we've seen from him so far. But as D'Amico Ryan's kind of alluded to earlier when he spoke with the media today, you know, Womack still has some things to work on. He, you know, he did look good in week one, but – he's still a rookie. Like he, he's got some things he's got to clean up. So Womack, he had a 66.4 coverage grade in week one. And again, so Tyler Lockett being the experienced veteran, maybe could give Samuel Womack a challenge. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the Seahawks, you know, test him out early in the game and see what they could get away with, with Womack. Uh, But I feel good about, you know, what Womack has shown us so far, and I feel like he's up to that challenge. And so hopefully he keeps up the good performance in week two. But here's an overlooked thing, I think. Marquise Goodwin, former 49ers player, 49ers legend. Could this be a revenge game for Marquise Goodwin? I don't know. I only ask because I feel like every former 49er who plays against the 49ers ends up having a good game. Like, what's that about? Freaking Dante Pettis gets a touchdown on us? Come on now. But it's Marquise Goodwin. He'll probably mostly see um, Emmanuel Mosley because I figure when Lockett goes to the slot, they would have Marquise Goodwin on the outside opposite DK Metcalf. So... Uh, it'll probably be a Manuel Mosley going up against Goodwin, which I think favors us, right? Like they both are pretty familiar with each other. Goodwin, you know, the veteran, but like older now. So, you know, I don't know if he's quite as fast as he 
was before. If he is, obviously he has that uh, that advantage over Emmanuel Mosley, but you know we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, Goodwin only had two receptions for 22 yards in Week One, but he might have. I I just I feel like he might have a big play or something on Sunday. I don't know why. I just can't shake the feeling. But like I said, it might just be because I feel like every former 49er has good games against the Niners. I, I don't know. They just turn it up against them for some reason. Um, but yeah, you know, altogether, I feel like the Broncos did a pretty good job of defending the Seahawks receivers. And so I would expect a similar, if not better, performance from the 49ers. You know, the Broncos, they have some good pieces on their defense. In fact, they have a few former 49ers players on their defense, but they don't have Vic Fangio anymore. And so at times that kind of showed in that week one performance for them, right? Obviously the 49ers defense is better than the Broncos. I could say that just based off of the week one performance and also going back to, you know, last season. So, you know, I think the 49ers have that going for them, but always, you know, Pete Carroll, uh, you know, he he's just he's got some tricks up his sleeve as well. And you can say you can say that uh, Pete Carroll has Kyle Shanahan's number. And so he, you know, again, he might try some slick shit. But anyway, let's talk about so we talked about the corners. I haven't talked about the safeties yet. So the safeties, I'm not gonna talk much about uh, you know, Hufanga, because I just feel like we know he had a really good game in week one, and we know that if he just does that again, we'll be in a pretty good spot. If he could just limit the uh, the Seahawks' run game like he did the Bears in week one, you know, I'm going to feel really good about this. And then the other thing that D'Amico Ryans mentioned in the presser today, someone asked him about the Dante Pettis touchdown, and uh, D'Amico Ryan's pretty much described it as a breakdown in coverage. Uh, and he cited that he pretty much said you can't have guys, you know, running to the quarterback before the quarterbacks has even crossed the line of scrimmage. So as you guys know, um, once the quarterback, you know, runs past the line of scrimmage, he can't throw the ball anymore. So as long as he's behind the line of scrimmage, uh, you know, there's still a chance that the quarterback can make a play, especially someone like Justin Fields, right, who can throw across a field like that on a dime and find a wide-open Dante Pettis. I mean, props to finding that wide-open guy, but he wouldn't have been wide open had Teleno Hufunga had just stayed on his man, who was Dante Pettis. Again, something we also looked at in the last in the last episode, if you guys want to watch that one. Um, But yeah, so D'Amico Ryan's mentioned that, and that's a hard lesson learned, right? Because it ended up being uh, a touchdown for the bears, but you know, in a way it kind of makes it so that hopefully you don't make that mistake again. So I feel like Hufunga, he's going to have that in the back of his head now. And Hufunga is also like the kind of player who, you know, really takes those any mistakes that he makes you can tell that it it kind of you know bugs him a little bit eats away at him so that that's a good thing right you want that to piss him off because you don't want him to do it again uh so yeah in coverage you know Hufunga can uh 
you know, improve a little bit. But like I said, in the run game, he's he's lights out. So I feel good about him there. Uh, and you might be wondering about Tashawn Gibson. Tashawn Gibson was on the practice squad last week. They elevated him to be able to play in uh, the week one game versus the Bears, his former team. Uh, but they elevated uh, or they signed Tashawn Gibson to the 53-man roster earlier this week after the game. So he's now on the roster. And so you would expect that he's going to be the starter once again in week two. Um, and, you know, altogether, I feel like he, according to PFF, he graded out pretty well in week one. I know I mentioned that the Equanimous St. Brown touchdown was probably on Tashawn Gibson, which I don't think PFF had that one going up against Gibson. Uh, so they graded him out well, but I wonder he would have probably been actually, he should have been graded a little lower. He was 80.3 overall, um, in week one and then 70.8 in coverage. So I would have probably, I would ding that a little bit. I don't know how much, cause I don't know how the point system works for PFF, but again, I, I feel like he'd probably be dinged a little bit but overall like he was fine you know not terrible he's not jimmy ward but he's serviceable sure uh so those are the 49er safeties now okay let me let me get some comments here because i see some see some comments kevin says just join the chat was there any discussions on 49ers running back game this coming week interested in jordan mason's outlook uh kevin i'm gonna be doing a 49ers offense versus Seahawks defense preview tomorrow. Um, and I'll definitely uh, touch more on Jordan Mason. But, you know, just just to give you uh, a little bit on Mason, his outlook, you know, honestly, I feel like Jeff Wilson Jr. is going to remain the RB1 in Elijah Mitchell's absence. He's going to be the main guy just because he has the experience in this offense and also – um, you know, he has experience as a pass protector too, which, you know, Ty Davis price, uh, Jordan Mason still have to prove as Kyle said, they have to learn to play without the ball, meaning they have to be able to do all of the other things that running backs are responsible for doing besides, you know, running the football. We know that Jordan Mason's a really good, um, running back, but you know, he's got to work on some other parts of his game, uh, that's going to earn him some playing time. So that being said, I like I said, I think Jeff Wilson Jr. is going to be the main guy, and it, it will be interesting to see. It might just be a hot hand approach after that, or whoever you know has looked the best in practice as far as like the pass protection goes. Like I said, um, so but I I feel good about Jordan Mason being the guy after Jeff Wilson Jr. To me, Mason has just proven to be somewhat of a more polished uh running back um like right out the gate and you know not to say that ty davis price can't get there but you know mason just has just looked ready you know uh so we'll just have to wait and see but like i said jeff wilson jr probably gonna remain the the main guy but i agree he you know he has looked good throughout the preseason all right, now let's talk about Geno Smith, right? Lastly, okay, so Geno Smith, what's the challenge with Geno Smith? As we mentioned, like, he he looked pretty good against the Broncos, certainly didn't look like a team that, you know, is, is just going to tank. Like, Geno Smith can 
definitely carry you to a decent amount of wins this season. And suddenly, after watching the game, you feel like, okay, maybe this game against the Seahawks isn't going to be so easy. So I think that's fair to say, right? The challenge of, you know, guarding Geno Smith, I wouldn't say that he, obviously he's not a run-first quarterback. He's not. I mean, he many of his, most of what he did was from the pocket. But, you know, he also, he's very athletic as well, so he has that ability to escape the pocket and extend plays. Actually, one of the touchdowns, I think it was to one of the tight ends, um, it was it was actually very similar to the Justin Fields one against the Niners a little bit because Geno Smith escaped the pocket and the defender, the Broncos defenders come up to, you know, try to make a play on Geno Smith and Geno Smith just like tosses it right. Oh, they leave the tight end wide open and Smith just tosses it over to the wide open guy and there's no one in front of him. He gets the touchdown. Um, so kind of similar, and but that's just what I'm saying. Like, I don't want to call him like mobile because he just has the potential to like escape the pocket and, and things like that. So he's, he, he can do that. And so that's a bit of a threat, right? Um, like I said, he, he had that play, uh, against the Seahawks on Monday. Sorry, not to see against the Broncos on Monday and and so those are things that the 49ers have to be careful to kind of, I guess, contain him, right? Contain him in the pocket. Um, and one thing I did notice was that, you know, the the Seahawks offense, it appeared to be capitalizing off of the short game. And so I mentioned this earlier, right? 49er fans, we know all about the short game because that's what we've been seeing, you know, for the last few years with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. And it could be very effective. Um, it could be very successful. It could be very efficient. It is very efficient when it works, right? Um, and it's a very good way to march down the field, get your offense going. And so Geno Smith's average intended air yards per, and this is uh, from Next Gen Stats, was 5.1. That was the lowest of any quarterback in week one his average intended air yards. Uh, so that just goes to show, you know, how how committed they are to this, like, short game thing. And also, it, it makes it so that Geno Smith gets the ball out very quickly, which I think is, you know, it, it just, it very, like I said, very similar to, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, just have him throw to his guy and you know, get that play out of the way. Let's just keep moving the ball. Uh, so very, 